0: So as it was mentioned here at the beginning of worship, we find ourselves in a sermon series during this liturgical season of Epiphany. As I said, over the next few weeks, myself, Intern Rita and Pastor Gary, will be sharing with you some ahas that we have had during our personal walk of faith. And the aha that I want to share with you today is something called sanctification. Let me hear you say sanctification. Thank you for not running to the doors when I used that big word. Yes, we won't get into all of it that deeply in terms of this fancy word, but sanctification is just a fancy way of expressing this idea that God loves us and forgives us so that we might be made more holy, so that we might respond with love and grace and service to others. We've already hit this point really hard throughout worship and there will be continual ways you'll see that phrase, so that, come up. But in thinking about this complicated idea of sanctification, I wanted to give us an illustration that hopefully brought it home a little bit more. And so, and this is always a good idea, I elicited the help of Rick Seaton. Hey Rick, you're already over there at the piano. Thanks for helping out. I learned recently about this concept called sympathetic vibration. And the idea of sympathetic vibration is that there are some objects in our world that have a resonant frequency. And if there are sound waves out there that are vibrating at the right resonant frequency, well then that object will vibrate all on its own, almost spontaneously. And so I was talking to Rick about this and he says, oh yeah, there's a really easy way to show that on the piano which is why Rick's at the piano right now. So Rick, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Tell us what else
1: we need to know about sympathetic vibrations. Okay, well, when a piano is being played, what you're hearing is not merely the sound of the keys that are being depressed, but also the strings from the keys that are not being played, moving in sympathetic vibration. So as a way of illustrating that, I've released the dampers from a bunch of keys in the middle of the keyboard, and I'm going to play some very loud, sharp notes on the bottom of the keyboard, and when I'm done playing those notes, you should hear sort of a glow from those upper strings moving in sympathetic vibration. So, let's see if this works. Can you hear it, Nate? I can hear it. Okay, I'll do it one more time. (laughs) So that, that sort of noise that's hanging on is from keys that weren't even played. Um, this adds richness to the piano. Um, you can't separate the two sounds, but without that sympathetic vibration, it would sound considerably thinner and less rich. And another interesting fact that I didn't share at the first service is, a similar effect is constantly going on with the pipes of the organ. Even the notes that aren't being used are Vibrating and adding richness to the overall sound. Awesome. Well,
0: Rick, thank you for that science slash music lesson. We really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> And, and for those of you who are still confused or who didn't hear the other notes vibrating, here's a, another illustration for you. You know that idea that we have that if you sing a really high note that all of the glasses in the concert hall will shatter? That's an example of sympathetic vibration. There really is within Crystal a resonant frequency that if you sing loud enough and at the right tone, it could cause it to vibrate on its own accord and thus crack or shatter. But, anyways, why am I telling you all of this? What does this have to do with your aha, Pastor Nate? I really think that this shows us how the life of faith works. God is this incredible force at work within the world, within our lives. God is vibrating at a certain frequency. And when we open our hearts to allow that vibration in, well, then we can't help but respond in similar ways. When we know the love of God in our life, it causes us to completely transform our behavior and to act and respond with loving action of our own. But here's part of the problem. I think we get those two pieces out of alignment sometimes. I know that growing up, I went to church all the time and I really had this idea that I needed to be good enough for something. Good enough for God that I needed to follow all the rules, that I needed to get it all right. And I was really hard on myself as a result. I put a lot of pressure on myself, and as a result, I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear of God, a lot of shame and guilt, worrying that I wasn't getting it exactly right. But that's because I was so focused on doing all of the good things rather than on the love of God which always comes first. You see, this brings me to fifth grade math class. And now I know what you're thinking. Wow, this is quite the sermon with resonant frequency and sanctification in fifth grade math class. Stick with me. Because in fifth grade math class, you might have met, as I did, my dear Aunt Sally. Does anyone remember this? Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. This was the mnemonic device I was taught to know the order of operations within a math problem. First you have to do the math in the parentheses, then you can move on to the exponents, then you can do the division and multiplication, and finally the addition and subtraction. If you don't go in that exact order, if you add first and then multiply later, you'll end up with an entirely different and wrong answer. And in the same way, I think as a people of faith, we need to understand that it always starts with God. It always starts with God's love coming down to us. It always starts with God's gracious action towards us. We never work our way up to God. We never earn our way up to God's favor. It starts with the gracious and loving action of God. And then the good works follow after. I got that flipped around and thought that I needed to be good enough in order to earn God's love And the result was anxiety and shame and guilt, all this pressure feeling like I had to get it all right all the time. But when I had my aha moment and learned to flip the script, when I learned that Jesus came down from heaven to be with us and then Jesus lowered himself again to die on a cross for us, when I realized that that came first, suddenly my heart was just filled with gratitude. It wasn't about being good enough. It wasn't about all this pressure I had put on myself. It starts with what God does for me first. And then from that deep sense of gratitude that I felt, suddenly I wanted to respond with good works and kind and loving action towards others, out of that place of gratitude. I want to look at our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, which I also think gets at this exact point. This, as I said, is an excerpt from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he says a lot of things in that sermon. You're lucky that I don't preach as long as Jesus, let me tell you. But this little section, Jesus says that you are salt and you are light. He uses two very common analogies to help the people listening understand how they are to live and serve and work in the world. But those two analogies would have been widely understood by the people listening that day. Light was so essential to daily life, because there was no electricity back then. When things got dark outside, well, you kind of just went to bed because there was nothing else that you could do. But those people listening also would have recognized that just the smallest amount of light can make a huge difference. And so that's part of Jesus' message to us, is that just the smallest ways that we live and love and serve others can make a phenomenal difference within what is going on in the world. But Jesus also said during that sermon that we are to be salt. And now you might have heard that and thought to yourself, you know, my doctor says I need to cut salt out of my diet, but no, 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 we have a very different relationship with salt these days than they did back then. In Jesus' time, as we've already discussed, there was no electricity, which also means there was no refrigeration. And so salt was primarily used to keep meat from going bad. It was used to preserve meat from becoming rancid. You just covered it in salt in hopes of preserving it for a little longer. Additionally, salt was used as a way of purifying a sacrifice before you made it in the temple. And So for the people hearing Jesus talk about all of this, they would have understood that Jesus calls us to purify what is corrupt within this world and to preserve what is good in this world. We are called to be salt and light, to light the way for others, to preserve what is good, to purify what needs purifying. And don't we know that this is exactly how God acts towards us? God is the light that guides us each and every day of our life. God is the salt that purifies us from our sin and that preserves us day after day after day through all of life's ups and downs. You see, it always starts with God's gracious action towards us. And when we sense that vibration within the world, well, our heart can't help but be moved to act in the same way towards others. I hope and I pray that if you're carrying a lot of guilt or shame, that if you've been putting a lot of pressure on yourself to get everything exactly right, that today you'll hear this message that God is inviting you to let go of that. That you don't have to get it all right all the time because God's love always comes first. And I hope that the knowledge of this gracious, amazing love of God will move your heart to respond in the same way towards others. We are called to be salt and light, to guide and to purify and to preserve, because that's exactly what God has done for us first. Amen.